0: Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Jay Hodge about his career passion of helping organizations to better engage their employees, creating more healthy workplace relationships, and the importance of humble leadership. Jay Hodge, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thank you, John. I'm really excited to have you uh, on the podcast today and joining me to discuss to discuss really important issues around leadership and uh, employee engagement and healthy culture and all of these types of issues that are so important and so central to having effective organizations. Uh, Before we get started though, I want to take the chance to introduce you uh, to my listeners. Jay Hodge is the author of The Lean Treasure Chest and has spent his 25 year career in manufacturing operations, supply chain, healthcare, and operational excellence. He started by serving in the United States Marine Corps and he grew professionally as his career progressed from frontline supervision to executive level roles as vice president at organizations like Ford, General Motors, Toyota, Caterpillar, KIK Industries, OMAC Corporation, uh, and Tenant Healthcare. Jay is a published author and accomplished public speaker who is able to drive cultural change throughout an organization from an A-suite to the floor level. Uh, His experiences range from the implementation of effective management systems, strategy development and deployment, leadership development, uh, focused on areas of improvement in operations and the facilitation of problem solving, um, he started Jay Hodge and Associates LLC in 2016 and has been blessed with success simply because he understands that clients uh, that he works with, and they're not simply organizations; they are people who are passionate about making a difference. Uh, again, su- such a great uh, profile, such a great background, a perfect fit for you know the the goals and the aims of this podcast. And I'm really looking forward to having a great discussion with you today. Before we dive into the discussion, though, is there anything else you would like to share with uh, the listeners?
1: Sure. When you know when you read someone's bio, obviously they they put everything good about them into it. But the easiest way to describe me is I'm imperfect. I have learned more um, over the years um, from my mistakes. Um, you know, anything that I've accomplished, I give the credit to my mentors, to my wife, my my family, and the people I've worked with. I've just been very very blessed. Um, to be able to be in this position. And I hope anything that I say or anything that I provide during our discussion is helpful to other people.
0: Excellent. Uh, And I would say the same thing. You know, we're we're all a big hot mess, aren't we? Like we're uh, an amalgamation of all of the good, the bad, the ugly. And we we try to uh, learn and grow as we go and hope that over time, we're able to help more people than we hurt and uh, make a positive Influence in the world around us. Uh, So I feel the same way, you know, like I can look back and and sometimes horror. I can look back on my past life and I'm like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe I did that or I can't believe I said that. Um, Because it's like, so, like, there there are times I'm having a discussion with my wife and she said, well, once you said this, what? I said that? Like, I can't even, like, in my current frame of thinking, I can't even imagine ever thinking it, let alone saying it. You know what I mean? um and so or or same thing with behaviors and actions like i'm like i can't even remember ever thinking that way how could i ever have behaved that way um so i i think that's how it is for all of us you know we're, we're we're all uh kind of shuffling through this world trying to uh do the best we can and hopefully we're taking two steps forward one step back and uh and but making st- uh, steady progression as we go
1: Absolutely. It's funny you, uh, you talk about that. People always talk about, you know, education and experience and wisdom. And it's one thing that my, my dad taught me over the years is that, you know, wisdom doesn't come just because you get to the age of 55 or 60 or 65. Wisdom is a result of experiences and experiences, um, both good and bad. You learn from your experiences and, and, you know, the wisest people in the world have probably learned more from their mistakes than they do their failures, but, and I, I personally think that's what makes a person wise, is that they are able to look in the mirror and go, man, I really screwed that up royally, that was a mistake, and this is how I should have done it differently, and that's really where wisdom comes from, whether it's in leadership, in relationships, um, anything, I think that's a, a, it's a great point my dad taught me, so, and it's played out perfectly in my career.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a great insight, uh, and I, I completely agree. Uh, as we, it's, it's hard, um, to look inward and to really acknowledge, um, our errors and our mistakes, um, that takes a level of security, um, and confidence in ourselves to be able to be willing to do that. It's, it's quite Mm -hmm. easy to look at others and point out their mistakes. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and we can learn from that. Um, but, but some of the deepest growth, uh, that really can occur is when we, we're really introspective, and we're really willing to hold that mirror up, like you said, and and just take a deep, yep. long look, and then make course corrections uh, and and yep. hopefully improve. So none of us are immune from it. Um, so it's 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 the big uh, lifelong goal for uh, steady improvement. Well, ahead, Jay, I talk- oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask. You know, as we're launching off the discussion today. Um, what really drives you? What's your passion and and, and why did you start your company? Um, you have a long, diverse career. Um, what got you to where you're at now?
1: Um, you know, what really got to me where I am now is the fact that I think I was like so many young leaders coming up looking for direction and looking for um, mentors. Um, you know, everyone starts out with these aspirations that, you know, you're gonna start out as a frontline supervisor and you're gonna end up in the corner office, 60 floors up, looking over the city, doing strategy deployment, going to board meetings. And what we fail, what what I see that we do a lot of times is we fail to teach people and mentor people on those 20 years between where they are and where that's gonna happen. Because realistically, realistically, if someone does it the right way, not stepping on people, actually being a good leader, it's going to take 15, 20 years to get to that point. And they'll get to that point. But I think sometimes that when you end up at that point, how you got there is far more important than where you ended up. And I, you know, when I, when I work with the organizations, I see a lot of young leaders. I see a lot of, you know, directors and even senior leaders who are so hungry for not just getting somewhere, but getting there right and leaving a legacy. Because when you look back, and you and I kind of talked about this at the beginning, when I look back, and I and I see the people that I've impacted, um, that's really my my how I define success. You know, having my own company, um, being very successful is great, but nothing gets me going more than getting a call up from someone that I've mentored and that says, "Hey, Jay." Remember those lessons that you taught or the discussions that we had or the time that you pulled me aside and say, listen, you, you better pull, pull yourself together, take a breath and think about the big picture. I said, remember those times we had those discussions? Well, guess what? I just got um, uh, promoted to senior director at a fortune 500 company. And I go, you know what? That I was part of that. I don't take credit for it, but, for me, those are the trophies, and I don't have trophies in my office, but those are the trophies that I take, take with me every single day. When people call me to say, hey, I got here and you were part of it, that's really what it's all about. And so I started my company four and a half years ago um, because every organization out there has this idea of what excellence looks like. And they say, this is where we are, this is where we want to go. And they create these Great strategies, these awesome pieces of paper. um, takes two to three days at the executive level. They create all of this and then they feed it to their team and say, Go do it. And then you have a bunch of senior leaders or directors or managers sitting there going, okay, but they organizations don't take the the strategic level into tactical action plans, what I refer to as the waterfall from that level all the way down to every other level because. It's not the senior leaders who are actually going to accomplish that strategy through the tactical objectives. It's the team members. And the team members want so much to know how to succeed. They want to know what success looks like. But if we never take our strategy from here down to here, they don't know what success looks like. And in fact, a lot of times we don't even communicate with them this one up here, whether we're achieving it or not. They get the end of the year results, whether they get a bonus um, or not. Um, So, you know, my passion. It's helping people from the CEO to the the line leader understand that connection that has to take place with them um, for them to really understand what success is. I've asked many, many companies, how does your customer define what success is? And they run through all of these different strategic level objectives. I said, no, how does your customer define when you succeed? How does that person walking into the ED, how do they define success when they walk out? What are the things that they look at? And it's amazing. Um, I'll sit in a, in a room with, you know, 50, 60 executives or whatever. And I'll say, do me a favor. Write down everything you think your customers value. And what's amazing is that out of even if it's 10 people, out of 10 people, they all have different answers. They may have some of the same answers, but then I'll bring um, directors or, or uh, managers in the room and I'll have them make the same list. And we have this plethora. What it tells me, this is what somewhere where my passion is, is that it tells me that we think we're not all on the same page. And if I don't know if you've ever been in the military or not, but you know, I was in the Marines for years, and uh on a ship, and this is I'm giving the Navy credit here, I don't do this very often, but you know, hey, um, on a ship, everybody's pointed in the same direction. You don't have a choice, you're on the same ship. With organizations, we have to do the same thing, we have to get everybody pointing in the same direction. So My passion and why I do what I do is because when you watch people get pointed in the same direction and all of a sudden they have these aha moments and they realize that they're part of a team and they realize actually what a team actually is, it's amazing to watch the cultural transformation. Um, A lot of what I do is, is, is implement management systems, visual management systems, but it's really nothing more than a cultural transformation wrapped in a management system. It's really what it is. That's why I do what I do.
0: That's awesome. And as you were describing strategic, well, you, you mentioned several really important things there. Um, but as you were describing strategic management and and, and creating strategic plans, uh, it just reminded me how often organizations really fail quite remarkably in terms of how they carry out their strategic plans. I'm a big believer in strategic planning. Um, but in and of itself, is it just an exercise just so you have something on paper doesn't really do much other than it's a healthy exercise. Um, but yeah. where where it has power is when you actually can then connect it down the line and communicate it clearly and, and have clear expectations and metrics and hold people accountable and let people know how how the performance is going as time moves on. And those are all the elements that frankly, in my experience most organizations don't do that Uh, they just kind of create the document uh, and then they might share it with people and then they revisit it a year later or something um, to update it and and that's Mm -hmm. just just not effective it's kind of like the whole movement away from annual reviews and performance management Um, you know many organizations have decided annual reviews just aren't effective uh, and they're not there's tons of research that shows only doing a a year-end review doesn't really do much of anything to help employees' performance. It only, it's either, it has no real effect or it actually has a detrimental effect. And so organizations in the last decade or so have started to adopt this no more annual reviews model um, and moving more towards an ongoing feedback model, You know, more regular discussions and conversations and maybe quarterly reviews or, or whatever. There's lots of different ways that organizations do it. Um, because they recognized that the annual review in and of itself didn't really do anything. It was just this, this practice that people got into the habit of doing and it became a tradition of it and nobody stopped to really think for a long time about whether or not it was effective. Again, coming back to what you said, I mean, so many organizations with strategic planning, they do the same thing. Um, They just, they don't carry it out in a way that will actually provide the benefits of going through the process. Um, Right. And it takes time, right? It takes time and energy and attention um, over a sustained, a sustained period of time. And that's why it doesn't happen often um, because people's focus gets pulled in different directions.
1: Yeah, It's kind of like um, uh, I had someone use the analogy years ago. It's like designing the most beautiful automobile. I mean, you design it, you clay it out, you fab up out the outside, but when you open the hood, there's no engine. When you open the doors, there's no seat, there's no steering wheel. A, a strategy by itself is like the shell of a car. It's beautiful. And I mean, everyone looks at it and goes, Ooh, ah, but it's absolutely serves no purpose. There's no functionality to it. And the, uh, amazing thing and I don't think organizations truly understand how effective a strategy deployment activity can be if they drive it all the way down to the team. Um, I've asked numerous leaders in a hospital, when's the last time you actually drew blood? When's the last time you actually performed a CT scan? When's the last time you took a a patient to the restroom? When's the last time you administered an IV? When's the last time you prepped them for for a procedure? And the answers are It's been years. I'm like, when you talk about your strategy deployment, it's just a document. But when you talk about what you're truly trying to accomplish, it happens at the patient level or it happens at the customer level for an auto manufacturer. It happens where your product or your service is actually being interfaced with the customer. And so if you never drive your strategy to that point, your strategy isn't a strategy. It's literally just a piece of paper.
0: That's absolutely right. Absolutely. So... Translating, you know, a, a leader's vision to tactical practice down the line can be really tough. That's what we've been talking about. Um, there's lots of things about leadership that are really, that's really difficult. Uh, what would you say to leaders is the most important thing um, as a leader? What's the most important thing to pass on to future leaders?
1: Humility. Um, and I can say this since I've been from frontline supervisor to vice president. As we get, as we move up, what ends up happening is we lose, the farther up we move, the more we lose as far as the understanding of the day-to-day interaction. Great example, I took a director in a hospital. I said, okay, you're the director of this department. You know everything, right? And this was a person who was struggling with humility and with understanding that they didn't know everything. I said, okay, we're going to take you and we're gonna put you in the most basic, one of the most basic tasks in this department. I told, we walked up to the uh, nurse's station, I told the person, the HUC, who does the phone, basically the um, air traffic control for that department. I said, go ahead and stand up for me. And I told the director, have a seat. You are now the HUC for the next four hours. Good luck. What happened within one minute is that they could not figure out the phone system because the phone system changes on an ongoing basis. They're upgrading it, they're doing all these things. They didn't understand how this, this doctor wanted to be communicated with, they didn't know where to find these numbers. And what it did is it, it proved a point to this to this director and it proves a point if you ever do this, that the farther we move from that ground level activity with the teams, the more we forget about the interaction, the day-to-day task level, micro level interactions required to perform those tasks or those processes. So if I, when I talk with leaders, the first thing I talk with about it is, is humility, accepting the fact that you are, leader, you are a leader of the experts, you are not the expert anymore. And I think if I pass that on to anybody, what it does is it creates a look, or, or it's what I refer to as a look in the operational mirror take a good look in the operational, but none of us like to look in the mirror, to be honest, because I got blemishes on my face. my One eye is higher than the other. This ear has a wrinkle over it. This one doesn't. I'm not symmetrical. I am just one hot mess, right? But when we look in the operational mirror, what it does is it allows us to to be honest with ourselves um, and allows us to understand that we're not the greatest thing since sliced bread. We don't walk on water. There's nothing perfect about us. But the greatest thing about that is that when our team members see that we acknowledge that it opens them up to us because everybody out here that's listening to this has probably had a leader or a director or a vp that thought they were god's gift to the earth and they didn't like them and one of the reasons they didn't like them is that because they didn't feel like they were ever their equal that they were ever um, able to be a part of what we're trying to accomplish so humility it's absolutely the, the first step. It goes back to servant leadership. Humility um, is probably the biggest thing for me when I'm working with new leaders. And I've had organizations that I've worked with where I could tell from the beginning um, there wasn't a level of humility, and I didn't, I didn't take the engagement because I knew that if I couldn't get the leaders to understand that they were part of the team, not the team, um, that the organization would never accomplish what it needed to accomplish
0: yeah i'm I'm so happy that you referenced servant leadership. Uh, that's something I feel very passionately about, and humility is a key component to that. It, it manifests itself in many ways, um, but truly remarkable leaders uh, they're they're intellectually humble um they're they're uh, procedurally humble, like they just interact with people in a more relatable way. And that ch- you mentioned it, but that the the challenge of being a leader in an organization is that you start to be put in a bubble. Um, mm-hmm. you, you start to find yourself in an echo chamber, Wh- whether that's what you want or not, unless you take very proactive steps to counteract that um, pretty soon, you're going to be surrounded by people where you're just hearing the same things over and over again, that echo chamber. Um, oftentimes leaders attract sycophants who are just basically yes men telling them what they want to hear because they're trying right. to let, they're trying to leverage their next you know opportunity. Uh, and so you have to be you have to work hard the higher up you go to be more connected to the mm-hmm. front lines and really the, the touch points with the customer. Um, and that requires humility because a lot of times leaders they progress in their career after having great success. They're intellectually you know they' they're intellectually successful, they' they're operationally successful. they have had this career. And they've been put into positions, and so now they feel like they've earned it. And and I suppose they have, but but they like you said, they're now they're not the experts anymore. They're the leaders of experts, and they need to be able to continue to tap into it. And it's it's the cautionary, the age-old cautionary tale, but so many leaders fail at that, that simple act of just remaining humble and and staying connected to authentically connected to the people. at the lower levels of the organization and the customers so i love i love everything you said there
1: i had a uh, an organization a while back i went and worked with great leader but he struggled with what we were talking about and uh when i got there i, I like to spend a month or so just evaluating the leadership um talking with them getting you know developing those relationships because everything i do is relationship based and one of the things that we found and he and he uh he agreed 100%, which is why he had called me, is that he had leaders. He he was at the top level, him and two others. They made most of the decisions for the organization. And what I found is that the reason that they made most of the decisions for the organization is because they had always made all the decisions for the organization. And what ends up happening is you've got your CEO, CFO, CHRO, COO. And they make all these decisions. Well, after a while, if, if the people under them, the VPs and the senior directors and directors, if no one listens to their opinion, to their decisions, no one's asking them anymore, then they stop thinking about it. And they just automatically say, oh, here's our, here's this, you, you make the decision. And so he had, he had created an organization where nobody made decisions. They were afraid to because they had been overridden so many times. Well, why put me in a VP position or why put me in a director position if you're not gonna actually trust me to make a decision? And so they stopped making decisions. And so these senior leaders were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe people are asking us to make this decision. Why aren't they making the decisions at that level? It's because you trained them to do it. You know, we hire people and we put them in positions because we think they're absolutely capable but then we cut their legs out when we don't ma- let them make decisions or we second guess them or they make a bad decision and we just destroy them. And so they're never going to make another decision. And he realized that with his senior team, that it was them that had caused that culture to be created. And it took some a while of trust and engagement because at that point, people are gun shy about making a decision because they don't want to get in trouble. And they're wondering, why are they letting me make this decision? This hasn't happened for years. There's something going on, and it took a while. But once people started being trusted again and enabled um, and to make those decisions, it was it was really fun to watch. Once again, that's why I do what I do.
0: Yeah, and you highlight the the contrast between an organization, a top-down hierarchical organization um, that doesn't empower people versus uh, uh, an organization where you you're trusting. Your your employees and where you're uh, leveraging their expertise and their passions to generate greater innovations, gr- better decision making, and better yep. outcomes, right for the business. Yep. Um, it's, it's it's not easy to do, but it's also not rocket science. Uh, as you just mentioned, there's there's simple things that that leaders do all the time that shoot you know they end up shooting themselves in the foot that they could have easily avoid. And then there's other simple things that they could do to just proactively make a really nice, healthy culture moving forward. So, you know, it it takes intentionality. Uh, It it takes just an awareness and a commitment to just have to be a positive leader. And it comes back to what you said about being a humble leader and being willing to listen and just pay attention Mm -hmm. to those that are are, uh, below you in the organization that report to you.
1: Yep. It's, it's, it's one of those things that when you teach young managers as they move up, um, a lot of times we, we get into manager positions and people come to us with questions and we think that we need to answer those questions. I mean, that's our job. It's our job to answer those questions. But what we do is we create that environment where people are always coming to us, asking a question, waiting, what do you think we should do? And I teach very young supervisors and managers. In fact, I teach everybody this that when someone comes to you, one of your team comes to you with a question, it may take a little longer than just saying, do this, but ask them, what do you think? And when they give you the answer, why do you think that? And walk them through the decision-making process. And what we end up doing at almost every level in an organization is creating an organization where people are thinking about how to make the correct decisions and why to make the correct decision. And, And all of a sudden, instead of being bombarded 30 times a day with people sticking their head in our office and saying hey i'm getting ready to do this you okay with that we've created a group of people that are capable of making good decisions from the beginning instead of just giving them the yep do this yep do that or don't do that
0: yeah absolutely well jay this has been a real uh, honor to have the, the opportunity to talk with you it's been a fun discussion we're about out of time but i want to give you a moment um, to share with the listeners how they can get in contact with you, how they can find out more about you.
1: Sure, absolutely. Um, the uh, easiest way to get a hold of me is to go through our company website. It's a uh, jay dot H- No, wait a second. That's my email address. I'll just give you my email address if you want to get a hold of me. It's jay dot hodge at the letter j and then h-o-d-g-e-a-s-s-o-c dot com. And our website is. um, com. So pretty simple, and the website talks. Uh, it's got a bunch of different tabs, pages, testimonials, um, references. You can buy the book, um, and the book's on you know Audible. It's on Kindle. It's hardback, whatever you want. So, but uh, John, I I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. You obviously have a a passion for what I have a passion for, and that's uh, helping people and helping them grow. There's a lot of people out there who have great, great potential.
0: Well said, Jay. Uh, it's been great talking with you. I encourage my listeners to reach out to Jay and to learn more about what he is doing in his company. Um, again, thank you for joining me, and I hope everyone has a wonderful.